I'm well, a fun you guy. You have fun when they finish below 500. I'm just Captain Fun. I guess. Or a captain suit, the show from now on. I don't like the half point. Well, that's called the hook. I don't like it. What the hook How do you get rid of it? Can you get rid of the hook? I'm going to have a coronary. I'm getting too old for this job, but you guys may have won. Upset. If you look back at where the term came from, it was from a horse race. Upset when did you turn a, into Cliff Clavin? I like this job. I've had it for a long time, Paul. Last one this is in the chemistry lab. You're I on just, the verge of next year's Super Bowl. I can't Bowl. help what I think. Be honest, Paulie. You're not doing this for other people's entertainment. You are truly enjoying this. This is Orange Nation. With Stephen Fonte and Polly Sebelia. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us. No Polly Sebelia today. Stephen Fonte, Mario Sacco with you up until 2 o'clock. Paulie's going to be back on Monday. We've got a bunch of guests to get to on the show today. Andy Demetra, voice of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, will join us at 12.15. He's a Cuse guy. Tim Leonard, Cuse guy as well, coming on at 12.30. He's the voice of the SU women. Uh, we'll talk with him uh, about last night's game against uh, Georgia Tech down in Atlanta. Jerry McNamara will uh, be on the show at 1 o'clock. We recorded that interview yesterday for the TV version of Orange Nation. We'll play it back for you uh, as the team is uh, about to start practice, starting practice right now as we speak, and then they'll be on their way down to Atlanta. So we'll hear from uh, Jerry's interview from yesterday, and then our good friend John Ryan, 28-year professional sports better, will join us at 1.30 as we uh, look ahead to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Plus, we'll mix in your phone calls throughout at 315-437-7600. 44. How are you today, Mario? Good, Steve. Thanks for giving me the green light to be back on the show. You have the green light. You never have the red light. Always yeah. the green light. Um, no, it's it's good to be on as we head into this weekend. We'll, we'll certainly talk some SU hoops today. I'm excited to talk some NFL. Yeah. And, um, you know, li- listening to uh, to Mike Greenberg on, on the way in as I was driving over here, you know, they came up with the question. They posed the question to him, you know, w- if you had to make a guarantee, or or in his case, he kind of altered the question, and he said, you know, if there was, if you had to put money on one team right now to make the Super Bowl, an amount of money that mattered to you, which team would you pick? And I think he had the same pick that that I have in that I, I think I would pick the Niners out of the NFC. I think they are the best team in the NFC. I think Bills, Bengals, and Chiefs. To me, it's all kind of a toss up at the moment. Um, but I do think you know. And, and with that being said. You know the Niners could lose this weekend to the Cowboys. That, that's, that's why I, I'm really looking forward to these four games coming up this weekend. I think the Chiefs are going to be fine. I think that Bills Bengals game is going to be the best of the weekend. Um, I, I would certainly give the edge to the Eagles. They're rested. We know that they're better than the Giants. Now anything can happen in one game, but it's a a night game in Philly coming off a week off. I, I think the Eagles win that game. Um, and I, I, I think I trust the Niners the most, but you know, if, if the Cowboys play like they did last week, who knows? I'm going to stay in that division, and I'm going to go with the Eagles. If Hurts is healthy and, and everything is, is is fine with him, obviously he's not going to be 100%, but um, I think they can get past the Giants. And what still scares me is the fact that San Francisco, with all the weapons they have and sure. as good of a defense they have, haven't been great over the last month or so. The, the defense hasn't. And they still have Brock Purdy as a rookie quarterback in an NFC Championship game. You know, well, that, that's Philly, the thing. That, that's what scares me. And, and Philly's defense, I think, it is very good. And, and they have a lot of you know multiple facets offensively of what they can do. Um, that's why I'm giving the edge to, to Philadelphia, as you said, in the AFC, a, a three-team race to me in, in that one. I have no idea between the Bills and the Bengals who's going to win that game. Can the Bengals protect Joe Burrow is the huge question mark in that game. 
Uh, I think Mahomes is going to be fine to to have them advance. They always seem to, you know, play around with a team, and, and maybe Jacksonville keeps it close and, and covers the spread. But but I think uh, we're looking for a, a showdown between, you know, K, KC and, and maybe Buffalo again um, if they can get after Burrow. And, and it's interesting, you know, you bring up Brock Purdy in the, in the quarterback position. If you had to rank the quarterbacks right now one through eight – that's the interesting thing because the 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 Niners might be the best team yeah. in terms of the weapons they have on oh, offense, hands, that hands defense. Down, I think they're the best team roster, but they might have, uh, you know, I guess that that could be a debate. I, I think you would have to put him eighth. <laughs> I mean, you would have to give Daniel Jones the benefit of the doubt. I, I think you would have to put Brock Purdy eighth. But we we keep saying that, and he just keeps going out and producing. I mean, he had you know three touchdown passes last week. Um, you know, one on the ground. He's he's been. Yeah, you know, his last he's two been more games. Than serviceable. His last two games, he's got six touchdown passes, no picks, and a rushing touchdown. Um, so he he's been fantastic. But you you think you know sooner or later, especially at this stage, you know can he handle it? Um, so many storylines going into the weekend. So and, and but they have a defense that as as much as they might have struggled and struggles and maybe uh, the word not looking for, they haven't been you know dominant over the last month. They still have a defense that. Okay, Purdy might have a bad game that, that you can maybe rely on to, to steal you a game, to win you a game, uh, if he has a bad game. And, you know, Dallas, on the other hand, I, I think Dallas can win the football game, and it all comes down to, to the play of the quarterback and Dak Prescott. You know, can he limit the turnovers and, and come away with the victory uh, against San Francisco? You keep saying that the Niners haven't been dominant over the course of the last month. Their last four games, though, yes, they had the, the Raiders game going to overtime, but they won by... Uh, 17, 25, and 18. That's, Understand. that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, but the Raiders also on a backup quarterback. I, I get it. They, up, they bad know. game. Yeah. So yeah, and and it happens to everybody. And listen, my Bills have have been keeping teams yeah, in yeah, the everyone, game. That the they, way Buffalo started off the beginning of the year, everyone thought they were going to score yeah. forty points a game and, and win every game by twenty. You yeah. know, and that doesn't happen in the NFL. I understand that. And as you talked about, you just mentioned the point spreads there. Like they're beating teams, but they're also giving up points. Yeah. Um. So talking about the point spread, this this bills at five and a half. I I don't understand it. Which maybe maybe it's a good thing. Like I, I feel like the line should be closer to a field goal, and the fact that it's five and a half, you know, maybe that's a good thing for my bills. I'm hoping that's a good thing for my bills. But man, I think that's going to be a one possession. You know, who who gets the ball last, who kicks the game winning field goal type of. Type Do you of think game. the Bills secondary can match up? And we had that on yesterday, and he said, you know, they they try and run man to man against them. Uh, a little bit. I, I don't see that happening. Like, you, you can't go one on one with Jamar Chase because Burrow's going to pick you apart. It, it's a concern, and and I I do think, and we brought it up with Thad yesterday, and and he said, what makes you think that the Bills are going to be able to get pressure on Burrow? I I do think that that's going to be a big key in this game. You know, can the Bengals banged up offensive line give him time to throw? Because if he has time to throw. I, you know he's good enough, and those receivers are good enough. He's going to pick you apart, and I think we saw that. You know early on in, 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 that, yeah. in and, that in and, that game that that you know never finished. Um, and they ran the ball. I mean, it was right. a small sample size, but Mixon, yeah. you know, ran it fairly well. Against it, it, it's a concern, and that's why I think it's going to be. A, I think it's going to be a high scoring game. And, you know, I, I'm curious to see the weather. I was talking with John D. Pesquale over at uh, Channel Nine, and, and he said he didn't think weather would be too much of a factor. They said light snow. I would prefer the snow over the rain. I hope it's not a you know, a wet, sloppy day. If there's a little bit of snow in the air, if there's a flurry, that's fine. Um, but it, assuming that the weather isn't really impacting the play, if it is just a light flurry in the air, I do expect a high-scoring game. And, and like I said, I think it comes down to 
to who gets the ball last. Um, all right, we'll we'll table the NFL talk for now. We can certainly get into it as the show moves along. We, we do have Andy Demetra coming up uh, in the next segment to talk Georgia Tech basketball. Uh, Jim Beheim held uh, his uh, weekly show last night uh, over at Caravas. We'll, we'll play back a, a few of the comments uh, right here. And I, I guess let's let's start with the, the topic that is, has dominated uh, this show and other shows uh, for uh, for the entire week. Um, and uh, and he, he brought up the, uh, the Judah Mintz uh, topic and whether or not he should have been in the game at the end. That thought never was even entered my mind. And if I had any coach had done something like that, they should be fired. Period. You can't take your point guard. Uh, this guy is the best point guard in the, in the league. Who's better in our league right now? Who's played? A, who's had a better year in our league right now? I haven't even thought about this question, but who has? What point guard? Smith's a different player, right? Smith's a two, all yeah. the way. Smith's a two at NC State. I mean, I don't know. Go ahead, think about it. People can call in these. And Steve, why don't you ask one of those guys to call me? That's complaining about not playing Judah Mintz and ask me, tell me why they think he should be out of the game. They don't have the guts. They call other people. I'm right here. They can call me anytime they want. All right, so there you go. Uh, that's where he stands on uh, on the, the Judah Mintz talk, and um, uh, we we see eye to eye on that one, uh, Mario. I I, I just I, I'm going to leave it there. We're going to drop it. I don't want the whole show to turn into that again, but. Um, I'll be honest with you. The thought didn't cross my mind that we were going to be talking about this on Tuesday. That you know, why was Judah Mintz in the game? I thought that was a no-brainer. I thought we were going to talk about his play and maybe some of the decisions and how the end of the game went. Didn't think that that was going to be a hot topic of discussion, but uh, certainly uh, uh, the the last three four days it's turned into that. Yeah, we we can move on from it, and you know, we we've seen bounce back games from Judah, and hopefully he has a good one down at Georgia Tech, um, and hopefully it doesn't come down to a last possession where. We're talking to it again, and you and Paulie are talking about it on Monday. So, uh, yeah, we can move on. All right, so let's move on then. And uh, you know, one of the issues down the stretch of that game was uh, was defensive rebounding and and just defense in general. Syracuse had that double digit lead, and uh, Miami was able to come back third straight time. Miami's fought back from a double digit deficit uh, to to beat the Orange. Uh, here's Coach Beheim on the defense. With young players, offense takes a little longer. Defense can come a little quicker. The problem is if you have structural problems in your defense, um, meaning we're not a good rebounding team, period, and we're thin up front, we're, we're outweighed up front at every position, that can be hard to overcome. We're trying to overcome it. It's easier in a zone to try to overcome it. In a man, it's virtually impossible if you're outweighed at every position. Um, but that is... It's hard for us to change that. So as a result, we have to be really good on offense, and we have to try to keep getting a little better on defense. And, uh, you know, that's really the challenge moving forward. And they have been pretty good on offense. I mean, we saw them against Notre Dame uh, shoot the ball very well, you know, put up 76 points, and then, you know, they turn around against Miami, and again, they, they, they put up enough points to win that game. Just couldn't get enough stops, and I, I think that's that's kind of what he's alluding to there. Yeah, defensively, you know that that's been a question mark all, all season long. And you thought coming into the year, I thought SU would be a little better defensive team, um, you know, with, with the the length that they have down low and Jesse Edwards and, and Benny Williams down there, um, and, and you know, Jude at the top of the zone, maybe causing more 
more turnovers than what we've seen in the past. And as you said, at times that it hasn't been there. Um, and the offense, you know, is taking strides. It's taking steps because they're getting other guys to score. We saw two games ago against Notre Dame that it was Chris Bell, um, you know, Malik Brown stepping up and playing a big role against Miami. Benny Williams had a solid game. So, you know, you need more than Joe and Jesse to score and Judah and and SU has been able to get that over the last, you know, nine and three in their last twelve games. Yeah, and you look at, you know, offensively what Syracuse has been able to do. I mean, even go back as far as the Pittsburgh game since they returned to ACC play, eighty-two points, seventy-nine yeah. points, seventy, sixty-six. But that was against Virginia, and that was after a, a miserable start. Uh, eighty-two against Vatech, seventy-eight, seventy-eight. Notre Dame and Miami both seventy-eight points. So uh, again, offensively, and I, I think one of the encouraging signs is that. It, you alluded to it there. Benny Williams played well the last game. Chris Bell is starting to come on. It's it's not just Judah, Jesse, and Joe. They're starting to get you know Justin Taylor into the mix. They, they're, they're starting to get regular contributions. It's not always the same guys every night, but you're starting to get bench contributions, and I think that's an encouraging sign. And I know we got to get to a quick break here, and we can table this for another time, but, you know, does it worry you right now that it, when Coach Beheim and you asked him the question yesterday about, you know, is his team moving in the right direction, he does, says he doesn't know if it's sustainable with, you know, how many guys they're playing. Does, does that worry you at all? Or is that um, a good sign that you're playing this many guys and you're getting other guys to step up? I think they're doing what they need to do. I mean, that's the makeup yeah. of this team. And I, I thought it was a very honest answer. And, yeah. you know, he said, I don't know. And I, I think that's... That's very honest that, you know, there's a lot of basketball left to be played, but, you know, will it be enough? Will these guys be consistent enough? I do think that that's a major question. That's just the makeup of this team, right? They, they, they need the young guys to continue to progress. And with so many young guys, it is hard to be consistent. They got, and they're, I think they're starting to get more consistent. They got to continue in that direction, though, if they're going to go on a run here. We do have to take a timeout. Andy Demetra, voice of the Yellow Jackets, joins us on the other side. Back after this on ESPN Radio. ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. Welcome back in. It's Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Mario Sacco. Today is Paulie Sibili is on the road ahead of Syracuse, Georgia Tech. Coming up tomorrow, Jordan Capozzi here in the driver's seat as we honor David Crosby with our artist of the day. This one, it's The Birds. The song, Eight Miles High. As you mentioned earlier in the show, Steve, The Birds, a lot of people know Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Right. The Birds came first, founded in 1964. This is a 1966 track. And that's all I got. I'll just repeat it. He was uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame That was your twice. research. All right. That was my research. Once with The Birds, and then once with Crosby, Stills, and Young. That's all I got. All right, so we've got uh, buy or sell here. We're going to play back that interview with Jerry McNamara. Uh, I did it yesterday for the television version of Orange Nation. Uh, the, the men right now in practice, so Jerry's on the practice court inside the Mellow Center, and then they're leaving for Atlanta. So Jerry unavailable today, but we'll play back that uh, that interview from yesterday uh, at 1. We've got John Ryan coming your way uh, at one thirty. but right now, uh, buy or sell, Jordan. What do you have for us? Well, the big news in college basketball, Mike Bray set to retire at the end of the season. Uh, college basketball coaching is turning into the the Will Smith, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, where he's alone in the living room with nobody. <laughs> That's going to be Jim Payheim soon as he's outlasting the rest. But here were his thoughts from last night's Bayheim show on Mike Bray. 
Well, I don't think year. anybody will have the success he's had the last 23 years at Notre Dame or any more success right. than he's had. He's been pretty successful there. I've talked to him a couple of times, and, you know, they, it's, they're struggling, and they lose five guys out of the six or four guys out of the six that are seniors. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big rebuild process there, and uh, I, I'm sure, I knew he would not want to go through that. And it's harder for them to get transfer portal guys, too. They, they're not in that game, although they probably will need to get in it pretty soon. So, I mean, two things with that. Let's, we'll start with just the thoughts on uh, Mike Bray. Do you think that's part of it, just why all these coaches are leaving? Do you think it is because just how the game is changing? They don't want to deal with the rebuild. They don't want to deal with, all my guys are gone. I need to hit the portal. Or do you think that's just something that people are coming up with? I think that is a factor for some. And I know that there's been a lot of speculation. That was a big reason why Roy Williams stepped down as he you know, just kind of didn't want to deal with it. Um I don't think that's the case here. Like I, I get the sense here, just reading yesterday, uh, various uh, articles and reports and so on and so forth, that this was very much a mutual decision, and maybe more so. Notre Dame was like, "Don't you think it's time, Mike Bray, that yeah. you step down?" I mean, you know, Jack Swarbrick, their athletic director, he didn't call it a retirement. Like he made it clear that this was a uh, the right time, quote unquote, they said for, they really for both had, sides like, to no move on. No conversation, so to say, like after the year, you know, upping his contract or. or or whatnot. So yeah, I think it was a a gentle right foot uh, yeah. go, going out the door. I, and and the school is not the university is not calling it a retirement. So I I know that that was the initial report. Uh, Do you think he'll coach again then? Um, for uh, four hundred fifty wins, uh, two elite eights in twenty three years at Notre Dame. Do you, do you think Mike Bray lands somewhere else? He's sixty three years old. I mean, I, I could see. It. I again, I don't know his personal situation yeah. i mean maybe he just wants to live in south bend and his family's there and he's i mean he's made enough money and he you know maybe he would, he would make a great analyst um yeah 100 percent. I, I he's not going to be the roy williams though being at every north carolina basketball game i don't i don't see that out of him i do see him in an analyst role uh maybe in the future and when you look at the acc steve it's the turnaround uh you know the the cap within the next year or two and I'm not shoving Jim Beheim out the door and don't think I'm trying to do that, but a third of that league could be, you know, new head coaches, so to say. Yeah. In the in the next, you know, two, three years. Yeah. Um Larinaga and Hamilton, Beheim. That's yeah. what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, Brad I, Brunel coming into the year yeah. was probably on the hot seat at, at Clemson, and maybe not so much anymore, but you know, yeah. You just named Three coaches and a fourth right there. I, I did, uh, as I was listening to that comment from Jim Beheim, and actually I had this thought yesterday, you know that, because when the news broke in the News Channel 9 office, I said, hmm, J.J. Starling. I wonder, you know, but, he, but, but listen, in this day and age, and I, I kind of said it like half-jokingly at the time, I'm not saying he's going to come to Syracuse, yeah. but if you're J.J. Starling, um, you're you losing your coach, you're losing, you know, as Jim Beheim just said, they're losing everybody. I mean, they're all fourth and fifth-year guys and Starling in that starting lineup. So you're losing all the guys that you've been playing with. You're losing your head coach. Uh, you know, do you hit the portal? And and again, I I it's just me speculating. But what's here. the first thing that, that comes to mind when, when you're bringing in a? I want to bring in my guys, and you know that, that's the first thing. And as you said, yeah, we're not saying JJ's going a a anywhere. And for all we know, he could be at Notre Dame. Yeah, he could be happy that I, I, there. I, I'm but, just saying. But I, the reason that that, the reason he went there was to. You know, he had a great relationship with Mike Bray, you know, playing his, you know, later high school ball, prep ball uh, in the Indiana area and developed that relationship with Mike Bray. Well, now he's, you know, 
done at the end of the season. And where's that leave JJ? Um, hopefully, he has a good career no matter what happens for him. Uh, I think it was because Mike Bray picked him up in a Ferrari that, that was, on, his, yeah. on his recruiting visit. I, I think that I, I, think I did that's ask what, about that. I think uh, that's to, why he to went to Notre Dame's play by play guy. I will say, see, so you guys, uh, many, it doesn't seem like he's leaving. It kind of seems like the gentle foot as you as I you mean, said. that was the sense I got. I mean, again, I, I don't know the ins and outs yeah. of and the athletic department. I just found it interesting the wording that the university used versus the reports that first came out that he was retiring. The university made it a point to not say retirement. Well, So what's interesting with that, and again, this is the first I saw anything of Mike Bray retiring, not saying anything about it, but Jeff Nadu, who does, uh, he's a bar stool guy, he tweeted out on January 17th, Notre Dame will be firing Mike Bray. This is said to be imminent in the next 24 hours. Now, again, no official firing or anything, but that was January 17th. The story was breaking yesterday, so you guys may be on to something, but that's yeah. just me scouring the Twitterverse. Yeah, and, and I know that uh, you know so you, we were talking during the break about um, there was a lot made about the, the, the timing of the announcement and that, you know, yeah, was that's he... That's the big thing lately on the internet is who do these reporters think they are breaking stories before the kids find out? Like, yeah. I get it, but like Tom Noy of South Bend Tribune even said on Twitter yesterday... I put it out 40 minutes into practice. You think the kids are on their phone in practice? Right, and and Mike Bray was going to address it at practice. So I, I don't have a problem with it. And listen, even if he did put it out there before the kids knew, that he, he's doing his job, right? That That is his job. He had, he had news. It was a breaking story, and, and he put it out there. And, and my guess is he, he may have waited until practice started for that very reason. So I, I, have, I have no issue with how he handled it. I'll touch on one more, Bray, and then we can move on. Do you see Notre Dame and – is a a good landing job for the next uh, next coach coming in. Like, I, how, how I do was you, surprised how, too because Coach Beheim was talking about how they might have trouble landing guys because they're more of a football school. So I'm, I'm oh, I, I completely agree with that. Well, well, I mean, I, we talked about how do you sum up Bray's career, and I think it's pretty successful. The fact that you know he's the winningest coach there in program history took him to two elite eights. I mean, when you think of Notre Dame, you don't say ah oh, basketball school like it, taking him to two elite eights is I think pretty good in, in today's day and age. Especially yeah. playing in the ACC. I mean, he was there a long time. He won a lot of games. He didn't have a ton of success in the postseason. And I think that that's what the the one uh, you know the As one. Coach Beheim says that's what makes it. Well, that, that's <laughs> the one knock on his yeah. resume. Never made it to a Final Four. Two Elite Eights is nice, but he was there you know twenty three years. So um, yeah, I, I don't think it's an easy job. I that's will what say that. At. Like I, I, I you yeah. know I I think given you know the academic standards there and and again you're in the ACC and it's it's not like. You know, you're the top program in the ACC. You know, you, you've got I a, a lot to like, of competition in there. You know, I, I guess maybe not so, but a Vanderbilt in the SEC. Stanford. It's, I mean, it's, it's it, like, like yeah, that's, I, I think that's that's fair in terms of the academic standards you're talking and about. And just not, how not what you history have to, and tradition, obviously. Sure, you know? yes. um, I, I mean, I think Notre Dame is more attractive than Vanderbilt. I understand your point, though. I, I, it's, I don't think it's an easy job. Let's put it that way. I don't think it's a walk-in and, you know, you, it's, you're going to – Snap your fingers and and you're going to be contending for ACC titles. I don't think it's an easy job at all. Um, but yeah, I think he was a I think he was a really good coach. I don't know if I would say great coach because you know never went to a Final Four. Um, not that that's the be all and end all, but that, that it, it is. You're coaching for 23 years. You would that, think that you'd have a Final Four appearance? Um, yes. But I, I thought he was. I thought he was a really good coach. He was a, and he's a really nice man. And you know that that matters. Yeah, too, I just so. seen him on. See, he. he Looked run down and yeah. you know tired. Been a tough I, I, I shot shot him on the bench, like just sitting there and you know thinking 
Yeah, it has been a hard year. One and seven uh, in the ACC this season, and we thought maybe that was one of Syracuse's better wins of the year when they beat them in South Bend. All right. Uh, what do you got, Jordan? Anything else here? I do want to know if you think this is a big deal. Gonzaga, they held the eighth longest home winning streak in Division One history, snapped last night at 76 games by Loyola Marymount. Some people have been saying that this year's Gonzaga team looks a little bit different. That's their fourth loss of the season already. Or Are we watching the end of Gonzaga? Uh, if I, it ever started, to be fair. So I've, I've watched them a few times this year, maybe more than I normally would. Um, Catching that, that late night yeah. that late night hit to see um, if you can uh, yeah, maybe. put a couple of pennies on them. Perhaps. <laughs> I, I might have had a reason or two why I was watching, but I, I'm not that impressed by them. Um, yeah, it's, it, listen, it's, it's a really impressive streak. I mean, you have Drew um, Timmy back, it, and that's why. They're, they're good, not great. Yeah. Like they're, 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 I mean, they're really good, but... I also think that conference is very good. I know I didn't. Loyal Marymount is not going <laughs> to get to the NCAA tournament, but they have some good teams in that conference. You know, watching BYU and Santa Clara last night, I think they're they're both could be tournament teams. San Francisco. I know why you one. were watching that. Yeah, game. I might have <laughs> put a couple of coins on them after hitting the parlay on on some tennis, but uh, that's neither here nor there. So like, they got, I think they have four four or five teams in that conference that you know are are very good basketball teams this year. Suppose this is the end of like Gonzaga as a quote unquote powerhouse. Like they're always there at the end, still need a title. Are we going to remember like the dominance or are we going to remember the fact that they didn't get the big one? Hmm. I think you're going to remember that they, they didn't get the big one. If Mark Few can never win a title at Gonzaga, I think that's what, what, what you're going to remember. By the way, they have 76 home wins in their eighth. Like, what is the record for? <laughs> is it UCLA, obviously? Hold on. Like that's that's unbelievable to me that, that that many wins and you're only eighth. It is a lot of wins. Seventy six row. You figure you what you got like fifteen home games a year. Yeah. So that's over the course of five years, five six years, depending on how many home games you have. And as Mark Few would say, no no one will will, will come there and play them. So it's not like you're bringing Alabama there though. Yeah, in, in terms of what when you, they would play, they would play normally at like you know Portland. In or, terms of what you'll remember, how. Mark Few will be remembered. I I think when his coaching career is over, my guess is that the the headline is he he turned Gonzaga, Gonzaga into Gonzaga a power. Yeah, and then maybe the net, you know, maybe the the second or third bullet is you know never won a national title. But I I, I tend to think that when the dust settles, maybe now because we're in the moment, we know how close they've come. But you know, when he's being inducted into the you know some Hall yeah, of Fame, remember, hey, ten he years made from now, so many Final Fours. Yeah, I think it's going to be. Yeah. I think it's going to be. He turned Gonzaga, Put Gonzaga into a onto a map. Yeah, yeah. before. You know. What do you got, Jordan? I'm struggling. I'm struggling yeah, real sorry. bad, guys. I, I'm just going to say it, you're not going to get number okay. one in All this right. segment. It's got to be UCLA, right? I, I would think so. Um, All right, we'll we'll track that down. As IUPUI. We're, I don't know. as we're <laughs> listening to to Jerry McNamara. So, all right, when we come back. Uh, we are going to play back the interview from yesterday. I caught up with Jerry uh, for the Orange Nation television show uh, yesterday, so we'll play that for you on the other side. Back after this on ESPN Radio. ESPN 97.7 at 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. Welcome back on In Orange Nation. Stephen Fonte, Mario Sacco, Jordan Capozzi here. John Ryan coming up in about five minutes. Our artist of the day, David Crosby, passed away at the age of 81. This track, Deja Vu, the title track 
off of the first Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young album. All right, so quick segment here, and then we'll get to John Ryan in the next segment. Uh, we should pass along, and I, I saw this news before the show started. We haven't gotten to it yet, uh, but SU football losing yet another assistant coach, this time the offensive line, uh, losing Mike Schmidt. He's heading to Mississippi State. Uh, the Orange has added Steve Farmer, who coached the offensive line at Tulsa, uh, so he will take over that job. And um, again, Mike McAllister, I, I saw reported it. We've since confirmed it. And um, from what I've been able to tell, um, it, it sounds like this has been done for a while. This wasn't a today thing. This has been done for, for quite some time. And, and they, they knew Mike Schmidt was going to Mississippi State. He's very close friends with That's Zach Arnett. Say, there's a great right. connection there. A great connection Zach there. At San Diego State, you know, right. coming. So they, they had spent about a decade together uh, at San Diego State. So, um, you know, obviously with Zach Arnett now at Mississippi State, he, he brings aboard uh, Mike Schmidt. And, um, and and so this isn't, you know, shocking news, but it's, you know, the Is fifth assistant coach. Is it five yes. assistant coaches have left? Yeah. Like, I, mean, I think that they're all for, you know, various reasons. reasons. Like, yeah, going and, home, working yeah. with, but it's still like five assistant coaches have left your program, a program that plays football in the ACC. Yeah. I, I do think that some of this – is just this is going to be how it is now. I, I really do. like. With, there's so much turnover every year. Now you're going to see it with there's, with so much turnover with players. I, I think this is just kind of the you know they say the new normal. I kind of hate that saying, but we you know we we said it a lot during COVID. I, I do think that this is going to be the new normal. How do you stop it? If you're Syracuse, how do you stop it, or can you stop it? I, I, I that's the million dollar question, right? And we've talked about you know are they paying their assistant coaches enough? Is it a, a stepping stone program? You know, you get to the. I think the the higher you can climb in the food chain, where you're not a stepping stone program. You know, look at Clemson. Like, you know, Clemson is no longer a stepping stone program. Like that is a destination job. You know, um, can can you get to the point where? And, and I guess the higher you move up in the food chain here in the ACC, I, I just it, I think it'll cut down on some of the movement. But where Syracuse is right now, when you have success, other programs are going to watch you and they're going to pay you more money. And 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 again, I don't know as if. Necessarily, that's the case with Mike Schmidt going to Mississippi yeah. State. I'm sure he's getting a little bump in pay, but it's an SEC school. But he, you know, he's he's known Zach Arnett, worked with him for a very long time. So I, I think that there are you know there are various reasons for why you know this guy left, that guy left, and now it's five in the last six weeks. Um, but out of that five, there's a couple that that scratch my head. Put it that way, like and the, the other the one, the Chip West like- one, I think was that that one to me was the most. Head scratching because it it truly felt Robert like and I a, wasn't the most head scratching to you. Um, but again, he's got family. To, I mean, you know his his entire he's been down there. He was in Virginia, and then his <laughs> whole you know his right. his whole his kids are all within a one hour driving radius of of NC State. So I get it. Like okay. if he wants to be closer to his family, I, I get that he's got family reasons. But again, more money. Um, you know now he's got he's got his quarterback down there. I, it, it that wasn't. As head scratching to me is 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 Chip West because that felt like truly a lateral move, whereas you know Monroe's going home and White's got a better opportunity and Nye's got family and uh, you know Schmidt's got Zach Arnett who's close friends with like I I, I get all that the West one to me was the most head scratching. Um, all right, with that being said, let's uh, let's get the scooter before we take our next time out. Scooter in Jamesville up next on the show. Hey, Scooter. Well, first of all, you guys are pretty powerful. We discussed Mike Bray on Monday, and he's gone by Wednesday. <laughs> uh, I the four the four most secure jobs I thought there is: the Supreme Court Justice, the Pope, uh, civil service, and being the basketball coach at Notre Dame. Uh, Twenty three years, and I didn't realize that he actually went to two finalists. I remember the Kentucky game a couple of years ago. I didn't realize he went to another final and maybe earlier in his career, but. 
basically with the teams he had, remember the Big East, they were always were supposedly highly ranked and some of the losses, you talk about Syracuse losses, I think one was against Miami, Ohio, or Ohio University knocked them out and teams like that. Just a prize 23 years. And you look at all the head coaches in football that probably have gone in those 23 years and they all winning seasons. Uh, a couple of things, guys. You know, Clemson picked up uh, TCU's offensive coordinator uh, for their offensive coordinator this year. So you know that Clemson wasn't happy with the way that their offense is going. And that would be very interesting how the style is there. The reason why I called, though, guys, you got this new thing in the NFL, the eye in the sky, uh, where we all laugh when they hear after further discussions, they, 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 you know, they change the ruling on, on, on the play. It depends. What what calls can they look at without the coaches being challenged? Because I remember the, the, uh, the Buffalo-Miami uh, game where it appeared that Miami picked up a first down by a lot. They marked it short. And I thought they're going to kind of look at it then, but yet the Minnesota game, where they gave the first down to Minnesota on a drive that could matter, they backed it up without without the coaches being challenged. And you remember, Minnesota jumped offside, so they backed them up five yards and they had to punt. So what you know, what place can they look at without the coaches challenging it? It's it's a great question. Um, I. I don't know like the official answer. From what I've been able to understand just watching the games, to, to me it seems like the obvious stuff, right? When they, when they obviously make a mistake on the field, you're getting the, oh, after further discussion, we got that wrong. Or, you know, we're going to mark it here, or it's a first down, or whatever the case may be. Um, I don't know as if there's necessarily a laundry list scooter of what can and cannot be um, you know, corrected in that manner. I'm not sure. I don't think spots can be looked at unless they're challenged. I think that's one of the I don't know. But they I, moved I, it back, though. They, they, they moved it back. They gave. Do you remember the drive? Yeah, yeah I know was, exactly uh, the play. Yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, but but they moved it back without the coach challenging it, though. Yeah, I, I think it's when it's when it's easily you know changeable, or they can see and say, you know what, they they definitely got that wrong. Hey guys, you know, move it back or move it forward, or you know, it was inbounds, out of bounds, you know, Put incomplete. It, it was a in complete today's pass. Today's day and age of technology, it shouldn't take that long for something to be buzzed down like that. You know what I yeah. mean? Like if if. It is truly being watched by every like. Uh, all right, we do have to hit our timeout. Before we do, though, uh, I just want to pass along the the longest home winning streak in college basketball history. <laughs> took us a while. Thanks, it took Brian. us a while, but we found it. Kentucky had the longest winning streak. Uh, St. Bonaventure was second, and then UCLA was third. Uh, so that is the uh, the order of events there. Kentucky won 129 games in a row, long time ago. The Bonnies back in the in the 50s and 60s. Bonnies were yeah, that was a while ago as well. And uh, UCLA is third. So uh, our knee jerk reaction was both you know our, our gut. You say I just said, came to mind said UCLA, right but uh, 80, but there you go. 88 game. I, I just didn't want to leave our listeners uh, hanging on that. All right, we'll take a timeout. Uh, John Ryan joins us next on ESPN Radio.